Welcome to my own little soapbox, where Andrea Bean Gibson stands up for wives and mothers, daughters and sisters that don't have a platform to discuss what really matters. Join Andrea and her father-in-law, Dr. Brant Gibson, as they discuss things you've wondered about and even some you may never have thought of. Now, on My Own Little Soapbox. Hello, I'm Dr. Brant Gibson, and I'm here with Andrea, and we're going to finally cover a subject that she's been promising for a little while. (laughs) We're going to do food safety, everybody. (laughs) So that being said, this may be a little bit shorter because we want you to be able to listen to it three or four or five times to make sure you're safe. Yeah, very, very safe. (laughs) So how would you like to start? Okay, so I want to talk about cleaning. Um, because a clean kitchen is a safe kitchen. Um, but we kind of need to talk about the difference between clean and sanitary because there is a difference. And before I took this course, I didn't know that. Um, so basically cleaning with soap, it gets rid of like all the nastiness on top, but then sanitizing gets rid of your germs which I didn't know. And of course, cleaning is going to get rid of some of those germs too, just because of the nature of soap. But depending um, on what soaps you're using or what you're using to clean with. Yes. Yeah. Cleaning is just washing away the germs though. Sanitizing is killing them dead. So you clean first and then you sanitize to get rid of anything that's left over. Right. Um, I'm going to, I'm going to take this a step further because there's, there's a third level as well. You've got got cleaning, you got sanitizing Mm -hmm. And you got sterilizing, which is different than sanitizing. Oh, yeah. <clears throat> so sanitizing is getting to that point, but sterilizing is nothing gross. Not, that there's nothing on it, and and you the, wouldn't know anything about that. <laughs> yeah, the idea <laughs> when you're doing surgery or anything like that is you want it not just sanitized, but you want it sterile, which means right. nothing can be transferred from that equipment to from one individual to another. Now, in, in saying that, sanitizing removes probably 99% of that, but it's the yeah. above that that we're worried about. Yeah. So I didn't even know there was a difference between sanitized and sterile. That's interesting. I mean, ideally you would cook with sterile objects, but that is um, probably impossible. Well, the problem as soon as you touch place. them, they're not sterile. Uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you gotta use your, your hands. And I mean, oftentimes you'll wear gloves in the kitchen. If you're, if you're in a, in a place where you're going to be serving other people, you're wearing gloves, but that's usually just for ready to eat foods. Right. Um, which we'll talk about those a little bit later too. Um, yeah, so, yeah. So to go that far. So a lot of times you'll see on television shows or you're seeing where they're scrubbing mm-hmm. where they actually scrub and they do it for a certain amount of time because they want to move past sanitized to more, more of a sterile. Now in saying mm-hmm. that the hands of a surgeon are not sterile. That's why no. they wear sterile gloves. Yeah but they get as close to that as they can. Yeah. Um, if I do a surgery in my office as opposed into in the hospital, again, mm-hmm. we're close. We're not completely sterile in those situations either because to, no, be, no, clean sterile, yeah, to, be, to be completely <laughs> sterile, you've got to have the circulation that goes through the rooms and everything needs to be uh, filtered. 
Yes, so have, exactly. The air is filtered, the everything going into the room is filtered, all that kind of stuff, because you can read even just by air conditioning, you can reintroduce if you're not careful. Wow. Yeah, that's, I mean, that's so next that's, level, that's which the, is what you want when someone's cutting you open. Right. And that's the, that's yeah. the difference, the biggest difference why you can't really say, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to be sterile when I cook that. Yeah. You'd have no, to change you, your yeah. kitchen and you'd have to change your the air flow. You'd have to be in a closed room, all those yeah. kind of things. <laughs> you'd have to make sure like zero smoke got into there too. And that's not possible. Right. Not doable. Yeah. 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 No, but that's interesting. I didn't know that difference. Um, so thank you for sharing that with us. Um, yeah, but let's talk about some sanitizers we can use in the kitchen. Um, because that's different. I'm kind of glad we're doing this, by the way, now, because we've just done a couple of food ones in a row. And so it's so all tied together. It all comes together, people. There was a reason and a rhyme to my delay. Uh, delay. Yes. <laughs> I was, I was going to say something mean about myself, but delay is a much better word. <laughs> um, but yeah, no, let's talk about the sanitizers, though. So I'm not going to like sit here and list a bunch of sanitizers. Um, first of all, I don't have that information. The second of all, that would be boring. So we're going to just talk about temperatures of sanitizers real quick. So different sanitizers actually stop becoming or stop being effective at different temperatures, which I did not know before I took this class. I figured, you know, everything you just put in hot water because hot water is going to kill the germs, right? But no, because hot too, water that is too hot is also going to kill your sanitizer, kill i say with quotes because it's not that it's alive it's just that it stops becoming effective deactivate is the term yeah yeah it deactivates it so bleach for instance that's going to be fine in hot water um but the sanitizing solution that we used in school actually had to be cold or it would stop working in fact i got uh i refilled the sinks once and i didn't know that and um my chef was like oh whoever filled the sinks thank you so much and then she actually like went to dip her dishes in the sanitizing solution and it was hot it was really hot and she was like um hey well thank you for filling the sinks but this is useless because it's got to be cold water and i was like oh dang i did that um and so i learned at that point but I guess for the best effectiveness for whatever sanitizing solution you're using at home, which like 409 is one, um, there are a bunch of them on the market, just any like Clorox products. Um, just make sure that you're using the right temperature of water. Go ahead and give that a quick Google search if you want to. Um, but that's, that's how to get it the safest is make sure that you're within those temperatures um, that your sanitizer is going to be effective and like Brant said, is not going to deactivate. Um, yeah. So we're, that's sanitizing. That's clean. Um, the other other piece of that clean. is you probably want to make sure that when you're sanitizing your dishes, it's not something that's going to leave residue that will get into yes, your food either. Definitely. So, so like don't wash your dishes with 409 because um, that's <laughs> you, you, you can't eat off of that. Right. You can. The, I use 409 on my counters. That, I, that's just the one I use. That's why it's on the top of my head. Um, but don't use it on your dishes. In fact, I don't. We have three separate. So not three. It was four. It, it's technically called the three compartment sink in a kitchen, like a commercial kitchen. Um, and one station you had for rinsing, one station you had for washing with soap, and the third station you had for sanitizing. And you would have sinks filled up with the waters of the different types. So like 
clear water, soap water, and then sanitize sanitization water. I guess the only way that you could get it truly sanitized in your kitchen is by using the dishwasher. So, again, don't go spraying your dishes with stuff that's meant to clean your counter or your bathroom because that's going to make you sick. You can't eat it. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. Thank you for, for adding that. I wouldn't even... I didn't think to add that in, but it's it's important. Don't eat sanitizer, you guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but let's talk about the foods, though, for a minute. Because um, we've talked about cleaning, and that's my least favorite part of cooking. And that's where my husband does the dishes. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was because you made the food, so he needs to do the dishes. Right, so that's the deal. That's the exchange there. He doesn't like cooking. He'd rather do the dishes. He doesn't like doing the dishes either, but he'd rather do it than cook. Right. But... That exchange happens because I don't like doing the dishes. Um, and we are an equal partnership in all things. Um, <laughs> anyway. Okay, so Brent, before you looked at my notes and you heard the term TCS foods, would you have known what I was talking about? I have no idea. Okay, so let's talk about TCS foods for a minute. Um, so that the TCS stands for time and temperature, temperature, not temperature, time and temperature controlled for safety. Now, there's a lot of filler words in there that are not in the acronym, which always bothers me a little bit, but that's what it's called. It's called TCS foods. So these foods you have to keep at a certain, no, you have to keep out of a certain temperature danger zone is what they call it. Um they only last about two to four hours outside of the fridge or before being cooked. Um, now that temperature danger zone that you're going to want to watch out for is 41 degrees to 120 Fahrenheit. I don't know what the Celsius is. Sorry, Bethany, um, <laughs> up in England. Uh, but 41 to 120 is is the Fahrenheit danger zone. Oh, sorry, that's actually a typo. It should say 135. I don't know why it says 120. Did it say 135? 41 to 135. Yeah, 41 to 135. I don't know why my notes say 120. That's wrong. So, yeah, 41 to 135. Those temperatures are where bacteria loves to grow. So it's going to, it's pretty much going to double every two hours, which nasty. So that can make you really sick. So you want to keep these particular TCS foods below 140 or if you're cooking them above 120. Um, I am going to list a couple of them. It's not a comprehensive list, but it is most of the TCS foods that you will encounter. Um, cooked rice, which I thought before I took this course on food safety, that if you cooked something, it's going to be clean, right? No. Cooked rice is one. You got to keep it below 140, or if you're going to serve it, get it above 120 or 140, 135. I got to change that because I'm going to keep glancing at it and it's wrong. Um, I, I changed mine so I wouldn't because I yeah I wouldn't know I was wrong. So let me give you the Celsius temperatures. Oh, perfect. Yeah. Here, Bethany. So it's five Celsius to 57 Celsius. Well, there you go. So figured I'd look it up. Google's actually pretty good at that sometimes. Google is good at that. I just didn't think about Googling it before no, we came you, in. You were busy talking and I figured I could Google it. So. <laughs> I appreciate that. Okay, so 5 to 57, was it? Correct. Yeah, so that's the Celsius for y'all. Um, yeah, so cooked rice is the first one. Cooked potatoes is another one, especially baked potatoes. You want you don't want to leave those out for too long because they will make you real sick. 
Um, cut melon is another one, which you wouldn't think about melon as like being a worry, but I don't, yeah, cut melon. You have to get out of that temperature danger zone two to four hours is how long these things are going to last outside the fridge. Um, milk and dairy, except for butter. Butter is going to last a little bit longer. Eggs. Eggs are special, though. If they're still in their shell, you can keep them at 45 degrees, and that's fine. Um, but you want to keep them out of the the other range, pretty much. Um, but if they, if you're like looking at an egg product, like an egg beaters or a, or you have egg yolks because you're making a lot of custard or egg whites just in bottles because you're making meringue or whatever, you have to keep those at, at below 41. But if they're in the shell, 45 degrees is fine. Shellfish and fish. Now shellfish is fun because not only do you have to keep it below 40 degrees, but before you cook shellfish, it's got to be alive. You can't cook dead shellfish. Mm. Um, it just, it can either be bad at that point or it's going to be um, just bacteria ridden by the, because you don't know when it died. So when you're cooking shellfish, you want it to be alive and you have to keep it out of the temperature danger zone both. Um, yeah, the next would be meat and any meat like substance like a tofu you're going to want to keep out of that temperature danger zone i'm talking about raw meat here mostly cooked meat you want to watch out for but raw meat is what we're more afraid of um raw sprouts which i was surprised about i guess i don't know i'm surprised by all the vegetables and fruits i don't know why but when i think about it like a fruit or a vegetable i think oh it's probably fine you don't have to worry about that just keep it in the fridge out of the fridge whatever but no yeah raw sprouts do want to keep out of that danger zone. So either get them cooked or get them in the fridge. Cut up tomatoes. That one wasn't as surprising to me. Probably because if you cut tomatoes and leave them out for too long, they're going to get moldy. I, just, I don't know. That one makes sense to me. And then I don't know how many of y'all actually have this in your kitchen. I've never encountered it that like, I guess my mom used to keep like a jar of minced garlic and oil but anyway any untreated garlic and oil mixtures you want to keep out of that temperature danger zone or just don't use it and have it be pretty for decoration um yeah and sealed, I, sealed jar yeah yeah of course <laughs> sealed yes keep so out all that nastiness <laughs> yeah um yeah so yeah you want to keep these foods under see this note is wrong too what the heck under 41 degrees or over 135, I put 140 that time, it's closer, um, for optimal food safety. <laughs> um, so uh, cooking temperatures and meats, uh, or for meats and shell eggs, they're going to vary, you know. Um, but like I said, when the eggs are in the shell, you can keep them up to one to 45 degrees. I don't know why you would, like, because if your fridge is at, like 39 degrees or whatever you're keeping it at, your eggs are going to be that same temperature. And that's mostly for U.S. eggs too, because in different countries, they don't remove the outer layer of the egg in the pasteurization process. Um, so you actually don't have to keep those in the fridge. But the ones that we have here, we remove that outer layer. And so you do have to keep those in the fridge. So don't listen right. to people who are like, you don't have to keep eggs in the fridge unless you're in a different country. Yeah, you do. You have to keep them in or the fridge. Or if they're here. fresh, if you get got your own chickens, 
they have yeah. the outer layer as well. Right. No, we remove the outer layer here. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's what you're saying. That's what you're saying. Then you don't have to keep them in the Correct. I got you. I get it. Yeah. <laughs> Same page. Uh, <laughs> although, fun fact is that with our bleaching process and pasteurization, you're probably not going to get salmonella from a raw egg in the U.S. Most um, likely not, right. As, yeah, as common. Now, don't take that to be like tried and true 100%. You're not going to get salmonella from raw eggs here because I am not a doctor and I don't know this for sure. But because and I'm not of our willing, cleaning I'm not process, willing to say that, so... <laughs> yeah, <laughs> because of our cleaning process, it's less of a chance that right. you're actually going to get salmonella. Um, I, in fact, I probably shouldn't have done this, but I gave Jenny some raw cookie dough the other day. Now, they say you should be scared of the flour, too. I don't know how true that is, but I, I gave Danny raw cookie dough the other day, and he's fine. He's I love, happy. I, I love raw cookie dough, and I've probably eaten raw cookie dough for my entire life, so... Yeah, me too. They make recipes where you can like, it's meant for eating raw and it doesn't have any egg in it and like you bake the flour beforehand, but that just sounds a little, like a lot of work. Might as well make <sighs> the cookies at that point. Yeah, right? Just bake them. <laughs> <laughs> You're going to need eggs though, because then you don't have a binder. Yep. Anyway, now I'm off on a tangent again and we're supposed to be talking about meat cooking, cooking temperatures and I'm talking about cookie dough. <laughs> And you're making me hungry but, doing it, so you need to I know, me too. <laughs> yeah, I haven't eaten. I made muffins this morning, by the way. So good. I don't know if I've said this in a podcast before, but I I didn't have enough information to make this whole podcast, so I'm going to say it right now. If you're making any sort of baked good with dried fruit, soak your fruit in warm water before you put it in to your food for about 10 minutes because that will keep it from getting dry and burnt in the oven. And my raisin muffins turned out delicious this morning. So that's, that's an extension of my tangent. We'll be right back with my own little soapbox after this brief message. Have you ever wanted to get more done in less than half the time? What if you could finish your projects five times faster? Hello, my name is Dr. Brent Gibson, and I have often wished I had more hours in the day. As a physician with 11 children, my life is really busy. I am constantly looking for a way to squeeze more into each day. Can you imagine what it would be like if I had 25, 26, or even 27 hours? That is why I started a journey and have read hundreds of self-help and self-improvement books. I have paid thousands for business coaches and even life coaches while also spending hours taking courses and learning everything I could. I found many helpful options, but I have always had one nagging problem. I could still get distracted, discouraged, and even procrastinate something I wanted or needed to get done. After years of searching, I found a powerful solution that has given me the ability to accomplish five times more in that same 24-hour period. So everyone else has 24 hours, but by doing these simple tasks, these simple processes, I was able to grab additional hours in the day without getting those hours. And this is a revolutionary book. It is important to me that you get your 
day back, that you get more time. So I have purchased a copy of this book for you, and all that you have to pay is shipping and handling. In this book, Unhackable by Carrie Oberbrunner, you are given the steps to close the gap between dreaming and doing in just 30 days. 30 daily missions to give you back control of your life and give you more time. It continues to work for me, and I want to give it to you so that you can start reaching your goals, living your dream, and enjoying the extraordinary life you were born to live. So go ahead. Visit www.beunhackable.com books and get your free book in the mail. That's www.beunhackable.com books. Isn't it time to become unhackable so you can accomplish more in a fraction of the time? www.beunhackable.com slash books. Get yours today. You're listening to my own little soapbox. But let's talk about meat temperatures now. <laughs> okay, so this isn't a list of every single meat that exists in the world. I just have four meats that I cook most commonly. I don't know about number four. I don't cook that commonly, but um, so here they are just for your edification. So chicken, we're cooking to a temperature of 165. Now that doesn't mean we have to get it out of the pan or whatever at 165. You can actually get it out at like 160. And the carryover cooking pro process will heat it back up to 165, which is where you want it to kill all that nastiness. Um, fish, you can actually cook to a lower temperature, 145. And that includes shellfish, um, right? It does, mm. actually. It does. You know this for sure? Yep. Okay, good, because I did not know the answer to that. <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so shellfish, too. Now, that's going to kill all your nasty parasites that live in fish, and they are nasty. I'm not going to... Dude, fish parasites can cause cerebral issues. They can, like, eat into your brain and give you issues in your brain. So... Cook your fish to 145, ladies and gentlemen. And if you're eating sushi, make sure that you're eating sushi prepared by like a certified sushi chef and you've got sushi grade fish. Right. Sushi grade fish has been frozen in a very special sushi way that kills off the parasites so you can eat it raw. So I, I don't recommend making fish or sushi at home unless you're cooking your fish or you happen to be a licensed sushi chef. <laughs> uh, speaking of fish, one thing I didn't know before I took this course, which I think is cool, is that, okay, so you know how puffer fish is poisonous? Yep. You can cook it legally in this country, but you have to have a special license and certification in order to cook puffer fish. And it can be cooked in a way that's not poisonous, but it's dangerous to do so, so much so that you have to be licensed to do it. I just think that's scary and cool at the same time. And whenever I bring that up to Ryan, he goes, I wouldn't do it even if they were licensed. That's just too big of a risk. And I'm like, you drive a car. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, that's just another tangent. I just think that's cool. Um, so let's talk about ground beef. So ground beef, you're going to be at a little bit more of a risk for food safety than you would with like a steak or like a slab of meat. 
So you have to have to cook it to a little bit of a higher temperature than you would other types of meat. You've got to go 145 on the ground beef. Um, however, steak, that's our number four. It's the one I do cook, but not very often because that's expensive. Um, that's going to be 130 to 135 for a nice medium rare. Now, I'm not giving you the um, other temperatures because in the food world, you're like in the world of professional cooking, you want to go for a medium rare. Um, of course, people are going to order food at all different temperatures, but when you're in cooking school, you want to go for a medium rare because it really is the most delicious. I used to order medium well because I was afraid of the meat, but it really does get cooked all the way through, even though it's still pink in the middle with a medium rare, and it's the juiciest and most tender. Kind of stick to you, like, Brant. I'm going to give you the other te temperatures because I I like to cook steak and I like to be able to give people exactly what they want. That's fair. So rare is 125 mm -hmm. or 52 degrees Celsius. Medium oh, rare. Celsius. Medium rare is 135 or 57 degrees Celsius, which is what she just told us. 130, 135 is that that range. I'm going right. just one one temperature. Medium is 145 or 63 degrees Celsius. Medium well is 150 or 66 degrees Celsius. And well done, the way my mother used to like it, is 160 <laughs> or 71 degrees Celsius. Um, so yeah, typically I will do medium rare because, mm -hmm. they, and, it, and it can even go to the rare side of that and I'm okay with it, so. See, then it just gets bloody black. Um, but to each their own, you know. <laughs> uh, yeah, I will say one thing, though, with each of those temperatures that he just read off, um, you can take it off five degrees before it actually hits that temperature, right. and it'll get up to it um, in the cooking process. And that's just so your meat doesn't get overcooked. Uh, yeah, otherwise uh, you move into the other degree, the other the other, right. type, the other so range. Other yep. range, yeah. And the other one you didn't talk about was pork. Right. Which I, which I think we bring up because it's unique as well. Right. That one is unique. Pork is usually 145 degrees unless it's ham. And to get fully cooked ham, it needs to be 165 degrees. So Why is it more? I have no idea. Hmm. Well, if someone wants to uh, shoot us a mes message, if you know why ham has to be cooked higher, then please do tell. Um, but yes, that's very important to know is that pork also has to be at 145 unless it's right. ham. Interesting. And that's not, I have no cooking background. That's just based on searches I've done in the past. So, yeah. Brant Googled it, which I mean, that's accurate information as far as I can tell from my remembrance of the course that I took. I hope that sentence made sense because it made sense in my brain. And then as it was coming out, it decided to be weird. Let's talk about storage, shall we? <laughs> We'll move, we'll move on at this point. Because <laughs> <laughs> we talked about like temperatures of things that need to be stored. Um, but let's talk about how to store these things, actually. So let's dry goods, first of all. We're talking dry pasta, rice, canned goods, bread, anything you're not keeping in the fridge or freezer, pretty much. Um you want to store that in a clean, dry area. The less moisture, the better. So probably like right above your oven, probably not the best place for it because it's going to get moisture in there. Um, 
so yeah so that's yeah your pastas your flowers your anything not in the fridge um by the way just a little side note but this is actually in my notes canned tomatoes do spoil even though they're canned um the acid in the tomatoes actually erodes the aluminum over time and that's nasty so you want to discard those after two years if you if you notice that you've had a can of tomato product for two years i hope that you've used it though so yeah switch those out every two years if you're keeping a food storage and you've got like canned tomato products in there get rid of those after two years um because you don't want eroded cans in your storage you don't want to you don't want aluminum in your food yeah and you yeah and if it goes too far then you're gonna have a hole in your can and you have a mess that's true yeah <laughs> um yes and try to avoid any like damaged goods and canned goods because that can introduce bacteria into your canned good. Um, especially if they're opened and just don't buy that um, or use that, it. That's a little bit of obvious. Yeah. Yeah. A little, a little bit of a captain obvious there for you. But yeah, uh, let's talk about the fridge a little bit. So with the fridge, not only is there a temperature that's ideal, there's, and the freezer actually, there's a storage layering that is ideal. Um, so you want to do the things with the least sort of bacteria content on the top and the things with the most on the bottom. So like you would do like lettuce and fruits and veggies on top and then on bottom like raw meat and fish. Um, and fish can sort of be in the middle, but you want your raw meat on the bottom. Um, just in case of any drippage, so you don't want cross-contamination in that way. Um, An interesting thing is most fridges have their... The fruit on the bottom! Their drawers for the fruit and vegetables yeah. on the bottom, yep. I don't know why that is, but yeah, no, I, I have to keep my fruit and veggies on the bottom. And every time I do that, it makes me kind of sick. But I guess there's that plastic layer, so hopefully nothing's dripping. The theoretically, it's a in a container, right? In yes, the theoretically, <laughs> but in a commercial fridge, that's how you would store it, is you would store the fruit and veggies on top um, if you're having to store in the same area. So, yes, we're going to talk about ready-to-eat foods now, like I mentioned before. So, a ready-to-eat food. I'm ready to eat. I'm ready to eat, too, man. I'm hungry. I haven't eaten since those muffins <laughs> this afternoon. Sorry, bad joke. Nah. <laughs> <laughs> that was a good joke. I liked it. Anyway, so a ready-to-eat food is just what it sounds like. It's a food that you can eat with, like, little to no prep, um, like an apple. Or if you've cooked something, think leftovers. Those are pretty much ready to eat. Um, you want to only store those for seven days. Anything past seven days, you should probably chuck it. That's the rule of thumb for ready-to-eat foods. Um, in culinary school, we actually had to label things with tape and a marker and say the date that they were put in there and sometimes the date that we had to take it out just so you didn't have to do math in your head every time you looked at it <laughs> and that was just for food safety and it's an extra step to make sure you don't poison somebody in the kitchen but just if you're at home rule of thumb seven days is the best way to store if you are ready to eat foods one more thing I want to say about cross-contamination, though. We mentioned it when we were talking about um, storage in the, the fridge. Order. Yeah, yeah. To store in the fridge. Cross-contamination can happen outside of your fridge, too, ladies and gentlemen. So the best rule of thumb 
or working with veggies and raw meat or something that could potentially become a cross-contamination, do the vegetables first, then clean off your station, then work with your raw meat. Because if you're not working with them at the same time, if they're not even on the same counter, then you have no chance of cross-contamination there. We don't want to get the grossness from your raw chicken onto the vegetables that you're about to eat, especially if you're doing like a salad, because then that's raw. The other piece of that is the same thing we use in medicine, that you don't want to cross-contaminate with your hands either, which mm -hmm. means you're going to say, okay, I, I, did, I did something with, with raw meat. You want to wash between... But it still it, still would be a good idea to do your vegetables first because then, right. then the chance of cross contamination goes down significantly. So yeah, and I even wash between doing your vegetables and your chicken because you know vegetables can be dirty. Yep. Wash your hands. I mean, um, and the other thing was like in when you're working with raw meat. In my basics of cooking class, we had to break down a chicken into its parts every day, sometimes two. It was, it was two chickens the first few weeks, and then we moved to one as we got better at it. And we had to break them down into their parts. So we had to have a chicken breast ready. We had to have two legs, two thighs, usually together. Um, <laughs> wings, like all separate. We had to break that down from a normal chicken. And we had to wear plastic aprons over our uniforms. Now we were already wearing normal aprons we were already wearing chef coats and gloves, of course, not gloves. Actually, we weren't wearing gloves for that part unless we cut ourselves. But, you know, we were had our hands washed, but we had to wear the plastic aprons over us because we were going to be working with other types of food when we were done. And if we leaned against the table or accidentally dripped on ourselves, we didn't want to have that on our clothes for the rest of the day and get that nastiness into maybe other food that we were making. So my point in saying that is chicken is gross and be careful with your chicken. Also, I just, okay, I have one more tangent. I'm sorry, Brent. <laughs> Brent's looking at me like I'm a lunatic. Um, the good, the good chicken, thing is I love her. Otherwise, we may not be able to handle true. all this. <laughs> I mean, probably you wouldn't even do this podcast with me if you didn't. Um, <laughs> you'd be like, man, I have to talk to Andrea again. <laughs> anyway chicken so there okay i've been watching worst cooks of america we talked about this in the last two i think so yeah um yeah they had a season where they had they taught the recruits how to break down a chicken like i learned to do in my class which is helpful because buying a whole chicken and then just using up the parts is a lot cheaper than just buying the parts already cut up but when they gave the recruits their chickens, they still had the head and the feet attached, hmm. which was just mean. They just did that to freak out the recruits who were not used to cooking. Because in my professional culinary school, we had the heads removed, the feet removed, and it was completely gutted on the inside usually. Sometimes I found like a heart or a liver inside still and that was nasty. But my, my point is there. <laughs> that was so mean. In my professional setting, I didn't even have to deal with that. And 
and there was there was no point other than shock value and it makes me mad when tv shows do things like that especially when it's to the detriment of the people in the contest because some people were like i don't want to touch this it's still got a head it's still got feet and that just comes to how detached we are from our food but i legitimately like sometimes had to thank my chickens for their lives before i cut them up i've never had to do that before i've eaten so much chicken in my life just I don't know. Sitting with a carcass in front of me was different than sitting with parts. Anyway, I'm a little, that's my I'm a little cold, but but that doesn't bother me at all. I'm sure it wouldn't bother you. You're a surgeon. <laughs> <laughs> but, well, this was actually longer than I thought. We thought it was going to be, I believe. So I went on a lot of tangents, which I'm not surprised about. Which we're okay with, because that's yeah. part of the reason people listen. So. <laughs> Thank you for being here. We're so excited to share this information with you. And I still say it's worth listening more than once because you may say, okay, what did I catch? Especially if you're saying, okay, I'm going to go do some major cooking. Let me make sure I do it right. Yeah. So, that, so you can not have a, a sick family member after feeding them food. Yeah. And pay attention to those meat temperatures too, because Undercooked meat's real bad for you, and overcooked meat is not tasty. So those are the minimum temperatures that you can go for for safety and still have it be delicious. Right. <laughs> and mo usually they're a lot juicier and better tasting at that temperature because you're not you're not cooking them past the point where they yep. have have that still. So, well, thanks for being here. And like we said, what we're doing with these cooking related podcasts is any listens that we get to these cooking podcasts we're actually giving food to a third world country we're feeding individuals Yay. so we're donating food based on that so listen send people here to listen tell your friends to listen uh, there are lots of people in the world that don't have the blessings you have food wise and so let's Amen. let's share it so anything you want to add andrea before we cl close here nope just thanks for listening glad to have you We'll talk to you again next week. Bye. Thank you for listening to My Own Little Soapbox with Andrea Bean Gibson and Dr. Brandt Gibson. We'll be back next week with another discussion from Andrea's Soapbox. If you enjoyed this episode, please let us know and share it with your friends, too. And if there's a subject you would like considered, please leave a comment so Andrea can discuss it in a future episode. My Own Little Soapbox.